Morning. Thank you for bringing that opening broader. Let's stand and ask the Lord to come in our midst here this morning. Father God, we worship you this morning. We are thankful that we can call you our Father, our God, and know that everything is in your hands. You are our Creator God who always has been and always will be. We pray, Lord, that you touch our hearts this way this morning, that we stand before you as your children, that you have, that we have been created by you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you bring this proper perspective into our hearts, that our hearts are open to you this morning. We pray, Lord, that your word may minister to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you prepare the ground of our hearts. And that, Lord, that the words that you bring forth, we pray that you, whatever I speak, Lord, may be your will, and that it may not return void unto you. Father, Lord God, we trust in you. We pray for your presence here in our midst. We pray, Lord, that you will fill this room with your presence. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> I have to say that I also will, will reflect on the experience we've had the last few weeks but mostly in the reality of how it is with our mortal bodies here in this earth. I've come to realize again how important it is to view our life as a journey. And like every journey that we've started, we can look back how the journey's been, how have we, how have we handled the things of God, how have we been faithful or unfaithful to the things of God. And we also have, a, to a degree, a gift to look ahead where we're going. It is not just rearview mirrors. We can look forward and ask this question, where are we going? And our life is a journey. We can all look at our life and we can, we can see where we've come thus far. Here we are. We have this gift called life. Yet once we come to the light, the light of Christ, we realize that it's not our life, but we are Christ's. And it's a, it's a strange, not a strange place, but it's a phenomenon that we're in. Either we are Christ and have life, or we're not in Christ and have no life. And we might think we're free without being in Christ, but a crisis eternity is way more miserable than any life could be in Christ, <coughs> of course. So we have this short time here compared to eternity, and we are all called to redeem it. The older we get, the more we realize that it's of utmost importance to live a life that is fully submitted to Christ. 
we realize that our life could be over before we know it. Is one realization that I got this last. And we've, we've, we see that a lot of times. We might make plans. We see people make plans and they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. So it prompts an awareness if we allow ourselves to be sensitive to the, to the things that matter. A lot of times we don't allow ourselves to it. That's how we deal with, with hard questions. We either run or we distract ourselves, but we do not allow ourselves to ask these hard questions. So as we journey through this life, there's only one who has the power to save our souls from hell. And to him we need to come and ask, what do you require of us? What do you require of us? And I want to I speak about that this morning. What does the Lord thy God require of thee? Taken out of Micah 6, chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. So, verse 6. I'm basically going to go around these three verses. So it starts out in verse 6. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Okay, just feel the, the reverence of how this question is, that is asked. Not only that, but the personal responsibility, responsibility that is owned here. Sincere, heartfelt question. How shall I come before the Lord? Shall I bring burnt offerings, sacrifices? Can we feel the question? I have to bring something. It's, it's, a, it's a question starting out that knowing that we do not come empty before the Lord. It's knowing that He is a God. He is our Creator. And we do not just come nonchalant before our God. And here I am. And it's a fearful thing to come before the Lord. But we have to realize there's a way. Behind, through all that, there's a way. In okay, verse 7, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Again, think about these questions. When I look at them, I see men trying to pay to appease God. Pay with things that even hurt and that are even sacrifices. As humans, we are all familiar with that, with that concept. As I look at different cultures, I see various ways of trying to pay. All in trying to make an attempt to gain favor with the Lord. At thousands of rams, or with 10,000 rivers of oil, my firstborn for my transgressions. Just think about these questions. Even my firstborn for my transgressions. The fruit of my soul for the sin of my, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. In these verses, there is a human tendency that is missed many a times. 
And I, I pondered and I looked at it. Have you, have you ever noticed that we, we, a lot of times we miss it in our own selves. We, we, we want to give so much. But just stay away from this one room. Or this one aisle that we don't want to give up. We want to give everything. And I look, as I look at the new covenant, what does the, what does the Lord require of us? We can we we try we will try we try to give so much. We do sometimes we do our cultural practices, and maybe that will appease the Lord. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see a man that gave everything, that was obedient to his father, and humbled himself even unto the point of death. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. It says, Paul says here, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of that, even the death of the cross. So here's an example of holding nothing back out of obedience to his father. He gave everything. He gave everything. And that same tendency needs to be found in God's people. In the new covenant, God is much more sees the heart rather than, or our whole life surrender, surrender to him, rather than do this or do that. And the problem is surrendering our heart is what's really, really hard a lot of times. We would rather give thousands of rams or other kinds of sacrifices. As long as I re can remain on the throne of my heart, we'd rather give all kinds of things, as long as I have to say so. Jesus, Jesus touched the matter in the Gospels. In Mark 8, verse 34, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Think about this question for a moment. What, what are we willing to give a lot of times for the exchange of Christ being the center, the utmost, the most important part of our lives, to totally surrender to him. What are we willing to exchange? Sometimes it might be just a frivolous thing that we don't give up. Maybe sometimes it's bigger. 
But whosoever will save his life shall lose it. It, it, it again, it reminds me of these verses. Should I come with thousand rams or ten thousand rivers of oil, whatever, whatever it said back there? What are we? Are we are we coming with this sacrifice, or are we coming with a total surrendered heart? I'm reminded of Job. We know what Job went through. We won't uh, go into details on that. In chapter 2, verse 3, I'm going to read it out in NLT. Then the Lord asks Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity, even though you urge me to harm him without a cause. And Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life. But reach out, but reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. I think the enemy thinks the same way still. And when you look at the life that we have, there are times that people would give everything except surrender their life to Christ. We can give a lot of our time. We can give money. A man is capable of giving everything except to surrender his life to Christ. And in, in the battle when, when the enemy tries to get us or tries to come about us, he tries to devour us, as the scriptures say it. We will, we will give everything to make that atonement. We will, we will give our lives. We will make sacrifices. We will... The world is full of religions, and, and we might be found guilty in that too. There's pilgrimages, there's all kinds of religions that would, that would give anything except this surrendered heart. And I used to read his verse and thought that Satan had nearly destroyed Job and was basically asking for more. I see a concept in this verse that is common to men. You see, Christ wants our very inner man, the heart, our very heart. And in order for that, to, for that to totally surrender, we would come to a place, we would give anything, we will fight, we will be hardened. Jesus said in, in John 4 to the woman at the well, verse 23, But the hour is coming in now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him, must worship in spirit and in truth. 
He said to God, the enemy there, but reach out and take away his health and he will surely curse you to your face. May we not be found among his prey, but rather surrender to Christ and to see him as our sovereign king. May we not stop there, right at that place, and think we have been made, but yet there's this very heart that we have not surrendered. What if Job, Job would have faltered right there? There would be no story of Job. There would be no testimony there. And Job was not destroyed. He trusted in the Lord his God. God. A few verses down in Job, in verse 9 and 10, his wife confronted him. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept God, good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, God did not, Job did not sin with his lips. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In the previous chapter, after all the damage and loss we read in Job 1, verses 20 to 21, then, God, then Job rose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So when God calls us, he's not looking for great or terrible sacrifices, but a heart that is surrendered to him. Even though if our heart is conditioned right, we will make sacrifices on our journey. And this is, this is the burden that I have of this verse is, do we, do we stop short in giving God our heart all the way in return for sacrifices and doing this or that or practices of all kinds of practices, but not just this one surrendered heart or maybe there's, there's one room in our heart that we're not willing to give up for the sake of Christ. It's a, it's a question that we, that we all have to ask ourselves. If, even if our sacrifices are self-inflicted, maybe, because we're not willing to surrender. <clears throat> so reading on Micah 6, 8. He had showed you, man, what is good and what the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. To do justly. I feel it is simply to do what is right. To act and do right on a personal level and also treat others the same way. It is very similar to the second most important commandment in the Bible, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine: You should love your neighbor as yourself. Also, I recognize doing justly is to exercise righteousness or godliness to make it part of our life. Is it our life? Is it our children's life? As it states in Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
And so it is with our walk throughout our life. If we apply discipline to our life and exercise our godly senses and character, then it will be available to us when we need it. Or we know godly discipline builds our character in Christ and in times of need, when our brothers and sisters grow through hard times, we can be there and provide on what we have accumulated. And as, as I'm growing older, I see that more and more. Is to exercise godly practices. And when times do get hard, when times get tough, when we need it the most, then it's there. If we never exercise and never practice for any sport, like if I, let's say I love hockey, and I never play hockey and there comes a game when my teammates need me, I'm not a good hockey player. They probably just send me out and sit on the bench. But if I practice and practice until my teammates come, then I can play hockey. It, that's how it works in the natural. I believe that's how it works in the spiritual. And I know many a times we've been caught up with the phrase, well, that's religious. That's just your own works. But exercising works. If you don't believe exercise works, quit exercising. See what happens to your health. And godly and spiritual exercise works. If we instill godly principles, godly practices into the lives of our children, they will not depart from it. Even as we come into the age, I usually speak with my high schoolers, when we start to observe and notice things and look around. These are one sacrifices, these are sacrifices that we should take to heart. And we should practice them. And that is choosing to do right and to do good. These are the exercises, when we exercise them, that we'll need them later on in a very short order. I usually tell the high schoolers once we get out of high school, we need all we need them. And so there, there's many ways we can look at the word do justly. I mean, if you, if you take it apart, if you meditate on it, I know it's also righteous with our neighbor is to treat your neighbor as you would treat yourself. And to the, there's a whole line of sermon we can just get off this one phrase to do justly. Um, the law covers a lot of that, how to treat our neighbor. But it's something that we all, it's something that we need to be aware of and to practice, especially when it comes to raising children, when it comes to disciplining ourselves. It's to me, the big part of it is exercising godliness. Okay, to love mercy. I found the choice of words very interesting. To love mercy. Not only, only are we commended to show mercy, but to love mercy. So what he requires, he has shown the old man to do justly and to love mercy. Mercy is the main Christian attributes, is one of the main Christian attributes that is evident, I believe, that's me saying that, in a regenerated person. Um, I don't believe we 
can serve Christ and the Holy Spirit has moved in our hearts and there's no mercy coming forward. And you can probably all testify to the Lord working in your life. Mercy was one of the things that shone forth. It's the only reason we have anything to do with God right now, that he has shown us mercy. And I believe, like the rest of the kingdom of God, it's meant to reproduce because it's an attribute from God. And the work that God can do in us mortal bodies is absolutely amazing. If you want to talk about miracles, this is one amazing factor. If we can submit to the Holy Spirit's lordship and leadership. And we sometimes forget about that privilege that we have in, in walking in forgiveness and having the grace to overcome struggles and sin and having the grace to, to reach out the hand and to, to love. We forget about that. And then we tend to look at people in the flesh and judge them not knowing that's a picture of us had Christ not intervened in our lives. So we have to be very, very careful not to be high-minded and to be unmerciful. The only reason that we are forgiven, the only reason that we are standing before God and that we are accepted of God is because of the mercy that he has shown us. That's the only reason. And we trying to live merciless with our neighbor, with the lost, it just, it just doesn't blend together. It doesn't even come together. We are serving a merciful God. In Psalm 103, 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenty, plenteous in mercy. And that describes our God. It should also reflect our life. Verses 11 and 13, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so had so far had he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitied his children, so the Lord pitied them that fear him. This, these verses 11 to 13 describe the mercies of God. And if, again, if our God is that merciful, it should also be part of our life. And not only be part of our lives, but we should love mercy. Part of the grace that we have received from God gives us the ability to not only choose mercy, but to love mercy. So the mercy of God is one of the biggest tools that we need to minister. The reason we can testify today as a child of God is because someone had shown mercy and directed us to God. Someone counted as enough worthy that they minister to us. If we can say today that I'm clear with the Lord, I stand here, I sit here as a forgiven child of God, it's because someone, God used someone most likely to extend a hand because that mercy was extended to me. In Christ, mercy and truth meet, and together there is redemption and salvation. 
Mercy and truth meet, and together there's redemption and salvation. That, that mercy, that kind of mercy, it, it needs to be a reflection of us. I, it needs to be part of our life. <clears throat> there's a story about uh, Francis, uh, Francis of a... Uh, Assisi was riding a horse down the road that went by a leper hospital. Situated far from Assisi, for then, as in biblical times, lepers were rejected a lot. Francis was not yet the saint of history. He was still caught between the lure of wealth and glory and the life of discipleship. So as he rode along, he was absorbed in his thoughts. Suddenly the horse jerked to the side of the road. With difficulty, Francis pulled him back on course. But as Francis looked up, he recoiled at the sight of a leper in the middle of the road. He was a gray specter with stained face and shaved head, dressed in gray sackcloth. He did not speak and showed no sign of moving or getting out of the way. He looked at the horseman fixedly, strangely, with an acute and penetrating gaze. An instant that seemed an eternity passed. Slowly, Francis dismounted, went to the man, and took his hand. It was a poor, emaciated hand, bloodstained, and cold like that of a corpse. Francis pressed the hand and brought it to his lips as he kissed the lacerated flesh of the creature, was the most abject, the most hated, the most scorned of all human beings. He was flooded with a wave of emotion that shut out everything around him. That was an early step in Francis' conversion, which took many months, but it taught him that following Christ may require doing some things that repulse us. What Francis then knew then, was that something greater was prompting him, allowing him to do that which, humanly speaking, he was incapable of doing. And this is what I see is this is the grace of God speaking, moving to compassion when we see our brothers and sisters, people around us, and one line that struck me here is it taught him that following Christ may require doing something that repulses us. It rep- a lot of times it may even repulse our flesh. It will go against our flesh. But remember how that verse started. He had showed the old man what is required of thee. To do justly, to love mercy. It's, it's the kind of mercy that, that reaches out, no matter if it's a leper or a person that is different or a person that smells different or a person of a different culture. If it's a brother that we're walking with, it doesn't matter. God is not a respecter of person. It, the, the last line, what Francis didn't know then was that something greater was prompting him. And this is the prompting that we have to be sensitive to, that prompting. When God moves us, 
even though we might not want to do it. So that's how the new covenant works. The Holy Spirit prompts us and moves us. And if we continuously decide with our flesh, if our flesh, it's repulsive to our flesh, we'll not grow. In fact, eventually we'll be, a dead, we'll be as dead as that leper beside of the road. To be carnal-minded is death, to be spiritual-minded is life. This is, a, this is a very, very serious practice that God's people need to recognize and see. That following the Holy Spirit, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and it will line up with Scripture, is what grows us, it, it's, what, it, it's what builds us, it's these acts of obedience that we have. Just taking that concept of mercy, when the Holy Spirit prompts us to show mercy to someone, and it's not quite our favor, do we show mercy or do we walk away? It's in surfing. A lot of times we don't want to serve because it's uncomfortable. We could do something else. We could do something that's more fun. But when the Holy Spirit prompts us, knocks on our door, breaks us, go serve, do we serve? It's, it's these kinds of people that God is looking for. Okay, to walk humbly with thy God. I know we covered that lately, so I won't go deep with that, this one. Yeah, the message here called humility. But this, I believe, is one of the most important characteristics that we can possess as a believer, if not the most important. The older I get, I realize that without humility, there is not even a beginning of a journey. Here's a quote from Krishna.net. Humility is like a muscle in our body. The less we use it, the weaker we become. But the more we train it, the stronger we become. God wants us to be humble because it is required. It is a required step in accepting his love. A person cannot accept God as their Lord without humbling themselves first. It is, it is a given that a follower of God is not a follower of themselves. And we look at the journey of a person from the cradle to the grave, from the perspective of eternity. We then find how foolish we can hold on to our prideful ways. See, we have been created in a time frame. And sad to say, this is how far a mind usually reaches is in this time frame, from when we're born to when we die. And this is all we see. And in that time frame, we try to make sure that everything goes just the way I want it. I have one life to live. I need to please myself or live for me. Or... Rather than this one verse that is in the meeting room. I have one life to live, 
and only what I've done for Christ will last. I look at the confession of most of us sitting in this room have made. Think about it for one moment. One moment is to follow Christ at all costs. That is, if we say we're Christians, this is what Christ demands of us. He doesn't want a little bit here and there. We know we can talk about that. I look at the fragility of life here in this earth. Then I look again at the phrase, to walk humbly with thy God. And it's a blessing. And he has not just commanded us to walk humble, but he added a very important phrase, to walk humble with thy God. This is where the robber meets the road. Walking humble with God. It also means to surrender our life. Now we're coming into the position where we'd rather sacrifice a thousand rams in trying to please the Lord, rather than surrendering all our issues and circumstances to Him. This is the point where we'd give, I don't know, maybe our life, except this one piece that we're not willing to give up. I look at my life, at all the opportunities or different avenues that I could have taken already. But right in the center, there's a voice of Jesus calling and tugging in my heart. The more I listen and the more I try to listen to his voice, he demands everything. Yeah, he has a lot of grace, a lot of mercy. But what he wants of us is our everything. So I look around and I see Christianity being just an idea or an ideology rather than a lifestyle, rather than being, being what the scripture says. Let's read Philippians 2, 6 again in NLT. That's Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus said in John 6, 38, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. <clears throat> what then is the true way of pleasing God? What is the prophet's answer? By being. By being, by being just and merciful and humble before our God. It is the answer of all the prophets. It is the answer of all the apostles. It is the answer of Christ himself. God needs not our services. He needs not our gifts. Least of all does he need our suffering, but he needs us, our hearts, our lives, our love. So before we leave here, can we look at our life? 
and try to imagine what that looks like. What does it look like? Have we attained? Or what needs to be done? And when we examine our lives, what are we willing to give in order to come to the place where we say, we'll come to the cross, say, Lord, here I am. Are we looking for a big sacrifice? Are we looking for a big facade? Are we looking for some other kind of, what are we willing to give to come to that point where we honestly and humbly come before the Lord and examine ourselves? So, may God give us grace to have hearts that are prepared and ready to surrender to him. It is a personal battle that we all have. And we can, usually we find it in, may we even find excuse in other believers. This believer does this, why is it not okay with me? Or this group does this, why is it not okay with me? So may God give us the grace to stand before him as a, as a child of God with a sincere heart so that he can use us, so that he can use us as vessels of honor, not as vessels of dishonor. So amen. Lord bless you.